This is the third part in the series, Living Between Two Kingdoms. This is part three in the series, entitled A Little Leftover Thanksgiving. My text is Luke chapter 17. If you have a Bible in front of you in the pews or one with you, please turn with us to Luke 17, starting at verse 5. My sources include Bob Deffenbaugh's Studies in Luke, Putting Faith in Perspective. Brian Chapel, a sermon by Brian Chapel. Uh, it's entitled Thanksgiving in Faith. And then William Hendrickson's commentary on the New Testament uh, from the Gospel of Luke. So Luke 17, starting at verse 5. Please stand with me for the reading of God's holy word. Hear the word of God. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And I'll tell you a little bit more about why they said that in a little bit. Verse 6, he replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say... Prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me while I eat and drink. After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. The grass withers. The flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for all you have done for us. And I pray that you would instill within us a sense of gratitude, not just on Thanksgiving, but every day. Teach us today through your word, Father. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. Please be seated. The late G.K. Chesterton is one of my favorites. If you want to read some great writings, read Chesterton. Read some of his quotes. You can Google him. The famous philosopher, theologian, he once quoted St. Francis when he said, The worst moment for the atheist is when he is really thankful and has nobody to thank. Pretty good. After seeing a series of articles on what's wrong with the world, Chesterton sent a short letter to the editor. And he said, Dear Sir, regarding your article, What's Wrong with the World? I am. Sincerely yours, G.K. Chesterton. And I keep this quote. I read it to you every year. I keep it on a post-it note on my desk as a reminder. From Sarah Brethnot. When we choose not to focus on what is missing from our lives, 
but are grateful for the abundance that is present. We experience heaven on earth. We tend to focus on what's missing from our lives. And that's just another reminder for me and for all of us. Don't focus on that. Focus on the abundance that you really have, that we all have in Christ and in this wonderful life that he's given us to live. Well, after telling the story of the master and the servant, Jesus, in the company of his disciples, was traveling to Jerusalem for what would have been his last trip there. The trip would end with Jesus' death. And since the Passover feast was quite a few days ahead, Jesus took the long way home. He took the time to travel along the boundary between Samaria and the narrow strip of Galilee west of the Jordan River, which one runs all the way down north and south. Jesus had many friends in Galilee, so it seems logical for him to take this route. Luke tells us that Jesus entered a village. We don't know really what village, but as Jesus entered this village, a group of ten lepers called out to him from a distance. Now, why did they call out from a distance? Well, they were actually required to call out from a distance. They could not come to Jesus and approach him personally. They were compelled by law to keep their distance because they were lepers. So they kept their distance, coming just as close as they could in order to get Jesus's attention. There were ten of them, and they were probably part of a colony of lepers, a leper colony. It seems that of the ten, nine of them were Jews, while one was a foreigner, a Samaritan, an enemy of theirs. It's interesting, ordinarily Jews had no dealings with Samaritans, but since they all had the same plight, I guess the old adage applies, misery loves company. And while misery is often a matter of circumstances, our text points out that the gratitude attitude and the response of thankfulness is a matter of the heart. So let's take a look at the circumstances of these ten lepers. First of all, their tremendous need led them to cry out to Jesus. Have you ever been in such need that you cried out to Jesus? I'm not talking about just whispering a prayer. I'm talking about you were so broken that you cried out to Jesus. And so again, 12 and 13 of chapter 17, as he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Years ago, I didn't really understand then what I know now about leprosy. And you you talk about misery. Leprosy was, is the epitome of misery. What happens in leprosy? Well, leprosy begins with pain in, in certain areas of the body. Numbness follows. Soon the skin loses its original color. It gets to be a thick, kind of glossy, scaly look. In appearance, in time, the, the thickened spots on the skin become dirty sores and ulcers due to poor blood supply. The skin around the eyes and the ears begins to bunch and the face starts to resemble something like a lion. Fingers begin to drop off or, or simply be absorbed. Toes, same thing. Eyebrows and eyelashes drop out. The leper begins to emit this very unpleasant odor. 
The disease attacks the larynx and his voice takes on a a different sound, a, a hoarse kind of rasping sound. The misery is heightened by the fact that in Jesus' day, and even today, leprosy was virtually incurable. And so there were other diseases in the Eastern world that were more painful, more fatal, and even more contagious. But nothing is said about those diseases. But you hear about leprosy over and over in the Gospels. Leprosy is singled out from all of the ills of the land. And as a result, it should be viewed as a type, what theologians call a type. In other words, it's another parable of sin. And so one of the points that Jesus is trying to get across is we're all lepers. We're all lepers. And as evangelical Presbyterians, we believe in the doctrine of total depravity. Total depravity. What does that mean? It's a doctrine that teaches us that when man sinned in the Garden of Eden, when mankind fell in the Garden of Eden, he fell in his totality. The whole personality of man was affected by the fall, which means the will, the understanding, the affections and everything else. So that by nature, you and I, we are dead toward God. Romans 5 verse 12 says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all men because all sin. So these lepers were in tremendous need, living in misery, and for all practical purposes, they might as well be dead. Physically, they were afflicted with a a dreadful disease. It was called a living death. Spiritually, they were ceremonially unclean. They were cut off from the religious community. They could not come here today and worship with us if we were living in those times. The law required that they keep their distance. How much distance? 50 yards. At least 50 yards. And if anyone came closer than that, they were required to cry out, unclean, in other words, keep away from me. And today, someone might wear a mask or something to let you know, you probably don't want to get near me, or maybe they're trying to protect themselves from you. <laughs> so, But in this period of time, they had to cry out, I'm unclean, stay away. Socially, they were outcasts, cut off from society, and, and typically they had to live outside the city gates. So as hopeless as their situation seemed, secondly, their tremendous need was met By a gracious Savior. I mean, think about it. Jesus did not heal everyone he came around. He didn't. He could have passed them by, but he didn't. Verse 14 says, when he saw them, he said, go, show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Uh, Now, surely these, uh, these men had heard of the healing of another leper. If you'll turn back in Luke, we're in Luke 17, but turn back to Luke 5. Luke 5, there was another leper that Jesus healed months before in Galilee and actually was not far from here. Luke 5, verse 12, while Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man, which was not something he was supposed to do. And he said, I am willing. He said, be clean. And immediately, immediately the leprosy 
left him. And I love this. Jesus ordered him. Don't tell anybody about this. I wonder about that a lot. Don't you? I mean, don't you wonder about these times where Jesus said, don't don't tell anybody about this? Because I think that's exactly what we do. You know, if you're told don't tell anybody, it's like, can't wait to tell somebody. So maybe that was just reverse psychology that Jesus was using. Don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. And actually, there is that testimony that the priest is supposed to do. You see, Jesus never told these ten, you're cured. He simply told them, while they were still in their leprous state, to go and show themselves to the priest, which was normal protocol when a leper was cured. So the priest kind of acted like a, a health inspector to certify that a cure had taken place. And you can read in Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 14, Verses 2 and following, and it tells you specifically what you're supposed to do in terms of showing yourself to the priest. But Jesus was putting their faith, these ten, he was putting their faith to the test by asking them to act as though they had already been cured. Imagine that. Go show yourself to the priest, and as they go, they are cured. So let me emphasize that they obeyed the Lord without hesitation. And as they obeyed, they were healed. So can you imagine what it would have been like to have been so sick for so long? And all of a sudden to be so well. You probably can. What you also probably cannot imagine is how of the ten, nine of them moved from rejoicing to selfishness. In other words, instead of returning to thank Jesus for the favor of their healing, nine of them could only think of themselves and how wonderful it was to be cured. Only one, and that one, a hated Samaritan, returned to Jesus as soon as he saw that he was cured and fell down at his knees to thank him and praise him for the healing. So what's the lesson? Well, there really are three lessons that we're going to look at. I want us to explore three lessons. The first from the first story that Jesus told. The second from the second story, but a little bit of the first story that Jesus told in Luke. And then the final one's kind of on the house today. So here's lesson number one. The master, the master is not obligated to show gratitude toward his servant. I don't know if that story hits you wrong, but, but it can. So look again at this story, the first story in Luke 17, verse 7. I'm going to tell it again. Read it again. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing, looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, okay, long day, come along now and sit down to eat. He's not going to say that. Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me, wait on me while I eat and drink. And after that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? And the answer there is obvious. No. Now, any of Jesus' disciples could understand the relationship between master and servant. In fact, Jesus is telling this story to his disciples. So he's speaking to a small group. And it appears that we're dealing with the owner of a small farm. This farm only had one servant. So Jesus tells us that this servant has been working in the field all day. But he only does what he's been ordered to do. Nothing less But certainly nothing more. When the time came for the servant to return from the field, the master did not say, Hey, I know you're tired, so have a seat here at my table. He wouldn't say that. 
Instead, the master said to the servant, get yourself cleaned up and fix my meal. He's the master. He can do that. In Jesus' day, it didn't matter how tired the servant might be. Once he came in from the field, the master expected him to get himself cleaned up, change his clothes, and then fix him his meal. Only after that would the servant be free to care for his own needs. And after the servant had done what he was supposed to do, the master did not say, thank you. Which is normal, right? Wouldn't, wouldn't you say thank you? It's normal, right? But not in that era. He's not supposed to. The servant did exactly what he was supposed to do. And the conclusion to Jesus' story comes in verse 10. So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Okay, that's lesson one. What's the point that Jesus is trying to make? Well, it comes in lesson two. The recipient, this is lesson two, the recipient of God's grace is completely obligated to show gratitude to God. The recipient of God's grace is completely obligated to show gratitude to God. So in our story, why does the servant obey? Well, probably because he has to or he wants to keep his job because it is a job. You may think it's an exaggeration to picture this, but I picture this knowing the context here. I picture this servant as a cold, calculating servant. I'm reading a little bit into the text. I'm picturing this servant looking out the corner of his eye every once in a while to see if his boss has finally finished eating so he can take his turn at the table. A.T. Robertson agrees with me on this, or I agree with him. He's written a book, uh, Word Pictures, and he writes this. The slavish spirit gains no promotion in business life or in the kingdom of God. Now, why do you think Jesus would emphasize this story, this point with the disciples? Because Jesus knew that the religious people of his day, the Pharisees, felt that God was somehow obligated to show gratitude to them for living a good life. And I wonder if that thought ever crosses your mind. God, I'm doing so good here. Don't you think you should bless me for that? The Pharisees thought that way. The Pharisees were the religious leaders of Jesus' day. And they really thought because of their good life, because of living a good life, God owed them something. Jesus wanted to make sure we didn't think that way. And so he told this story. So if the Pharisees felt that God owed them his blessings, Jesus wanted his disciples to know the truth is just actually the opposite. Jesus taught that those who would have faith must first recognize their own unworthiness and must approach God on the basis of grace, not on the basis of merits. I think Jesus told the story of the master and the servant to help the disciples understand that the key wasn't to be found in the amount of their faith but in the quality of their faith. And so we get to the second story. Look at verse 15. One of them, one of the ten in our second story, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. Now that's what you would think all ten would do. But they didn't. 
So in this second story, this Samaritan's praising God for his healing. It shows that he saw the hand of God in his cure and that he was ready to let everyone know about it. And when he returned to Jesus, he showed to Jesus the attitude of his heart. And what was the attitude of his heart? Humility. I don't deserve this. I'm so grateful. And that really should be the way we live our lives every day. I I don't deserve all that I'm given. So grateful, God. Is that the way you live? And our text says that he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. That's what verse 16 says. And though Jesus was pleased at his response, he was obviously disappointed with the other nine. And he said that in verse 17, a classic verse. Were not all ten cleansed, Jesus asked? Where are the other nine? Where are the other nine? I'm convinced the other nine experienced a, a, a spirit of entitlement, believing that they got exactly what they deserved. And God warned the Israelites of this danger. Turn with me to the Old Testament, to Deuteronomy, fifth book of the Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Even before the Israelites entered the promised land, he warned them, he warned them about this sense of entitlement. Deuteronomy 8. Listen to verse 11. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws and his decrees that I am giving you this day. This is Moses. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied Then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And then skipping to verse 17. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. And then that moves us to lesson three. Faith is to be exercised only in the context of mercy and grace. And only by those who consider themselves unworthy. Unworthy. Now, believe it or not, this whole chapter is about forgiveness. So look with me in Luke 17 at the first few verses. Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but... Woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. Great reminder to all of us. We don't live for ourselves. We live for others as well as ourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. And you know what? If I'm the disciples, I'm sitting there going, no way, no way, seven times. And that's why they said, increase our faith, increase our faith. This does not make sense. You ever had trouble forgiving someone? 
I have. If you've never struggled with forgiving someone, I'm so glad for you. It's a really hard thing, isn't it? To forgive someone who's hurt you. Jesus says if they've hurt you seven times, and seven times in one day come back and say, forgive me. I repent. You're to forgive them again. And the disciples are going, this is too much. This is beyond what I can do. Increase our faith. And that's why he started telling them this story. So God wants us to remember that it is the mercy and the grace of God poured out freely and completely on sinners such as you and I that produces gratitude. Gratitude. And it is this gratitude that the recipient of grace has received from a merciful God that should lead us in turn to pass it on to others, even to those who don't seem worthy of our forgiveness. In the long run, Jesus reminds us we don't deserve His forgiveness either. We don't deserve His forgiveness. Which is why Jesus was so offended that only one of the ten returned to say, Thank you. But I'm also convinced that the only one of the ten who really experienced spiritual cleansing was that one. Because that's why Jesus said to him, your faith has made you well. Because when you've been reborn spiritually, when Jesus Christ comes into your life, it results in worship. It results in worship. Where we give him our ourselves and we give him our stuff. Whatever that may be. We're willing to put him first, put him on the throne. And that concerns all things. Which is why we can be frank and talk among ourselves as a family from time to time. Talk about finances, things like that. That's what we've been talking about the last few weeks. And hopefully in a little bit subtle manner, you picked up on that. That that's what we've been talking about the last few weeks. To be grateful. To live as grateful people. And because we've been so blessed by God. We're grateful and we give Him our lives and we give Him our stuff and all of our things. And put Him first in that way. Next week is Stewardship Commitment Sunday. It's a Sunday in which we dedicate ourselves to the Lord anew. And offer Him our gifts. And what we, Lord willing, will give Him in the next year. This this is not for any one of you who are visitors in our church. For those of you who are members of our church, I say without apology... We need your gifts. We trust the Lord through you to give us the gifts that are needed for the ongoing work of this church and the ministries of this church. For the vision that God has given us as a church. And so if you're not going to be here next week, then mail your card in. You've probably received a card from me already. And next week we'll deposit those cards in a basket. And only our bookkeeper will know what you've committed And I encourage you to trust the Lord with what he's given to you. Our verse of the week is Romans 12, verse 1. Let's read it out loud together. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Let us pray together. Lord Jesus, 
We thank you this morning for our salvation. We thank you for blessing our lives with the gospel. We thank you, Lord, that for some reason you've chosen to work in our hearts and save us and forgive us of our sins. If we're believers here today, then you have saved us and we praise you for your work in our lives. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. But we are grateful. We are humbled and grateful for our wonderful salvation. For the life that you've enabled us to live. And so, Lord Jesus, thank you that we belong to you. And we want to put you first in our lives. So give us grace today to reflect on our lives and to reflect on all you've given to us. How blessed we are. And to respond in kind, trusting you, Lord, in this next year. We don't have a guarantee on this next year, but we thank you for today. And on this day. We proclaim how grateful we are for the blessings that you've put in our lives and for the blessing of our salvation, the forgiveness of our sins. Lord, break our hearts over the needs of those that we encounter that need our forgiveness and give us wisdom in how to do that, how to do exactly what you told your disciples to do. Give us grace to obey you and be your obedient servants, not the kind of servant that obeys you with a sleight of hand and slightly cocked eye, but one who obeys you from the heart because you are loved. We love you, Lord, but we only love you because you first loved us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.